invitation song. I apologize. The invitation song will be hymn number 37. Hymn number 37. Let's begin by turning our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 tonight. Matthew chapter 13. I was thinking you may need to institute a policy, especially for near four-year-olds, to let them know where the song leader is at. I've got a near four-year-old still looking back here to see where that song leading was coming from. She does not know that it's from the back. She keeps looking back to see where the song is being led from, but it's, uh, it's great to be with you tonight. It's always good to be at White Oak for whatever reason we're here, and uh, it's good because there's so many familiar faces, friends I grew up with and people I've known all my life, some from Tiftonia way back when, when I was just a kid, and when we all moved here to White Oak many, many years ago, we've... Um, We've just grown up together, so it's good to be here, good to see a lot of familiar faces tonight, and good to meet folks that um, never met before. So it's just great, great to see you growing, and we always keep uh, White Oak very near and dear to our heart. And uh, concern, you know, for JC, he's been a sig significant part of our life, and um, so we certainly pray for him and hope that he can pull through and recover, but um, certainly hate to hear that he's going through a rough patch right now. Good to see you all tonight. Uh, most folks here know, because I either grew up with you or you saw me grow up, I've never been, I was not a crop farmer. That's not what I was, it's not what I am now. In fact, I grew up just right down the road and um, where we're at, we had a small patch of land, but never did much. Dad grew a garden, but I wasn't a crop farmer, so agricultural principles never really stuck. But I have done some yard work before. And I'm finding that the more yard work I do, the more in common some of those principles between growing crops and doing some yard work are, especially as it relates to soil. And I think I've come to appreciate more the parable that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 13 about the parable of the sower, or sometimes called the parable of the soils. And he begins in verse 3 and says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. That is, the seeds. Then verse 5, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now it's going to be a jump in the text. We drop down to about verse 18, and Jesus is going back through and he's beginning to explain the purpose of the parables, and he explains the meaning of the parable of the sower. And so in verse 18, he says, therefore hear the parable of the sower. This would be his conclusion based upon what he said in verses 3 through about verse 9. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. 
Then in verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, for when tribulation and persecution arises because of the world, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And then, of course, explains in verse 23, the good soil. He who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred and some sixty and some thirty. So we have all these various soil types that are represented, and we almost in a very practical way could go through, and probably in our experiences, whether growing a garden or whether working in our yard, can relate to the types of soil that are presented here. For example, he starts with the seed by the wayside and how the birds came and devoured them and then explains later that that's like the devil who steals the word out of the hearts of individuals and we can probably all relate to having grown a garden and having animals enter into the garden and stealing our fruit, our produce. So we build a cage around it. In fact, one of the members at North Hamilton, uh, he and his brother have built a, a monstrous cage over the top of their garden to protect their garden from the deer that would enter from one side and birds that enter to the other. You have to actually enter through a small gated door just to get into their garden uh, because it's so well protected. And so uh, we understand that. And, th- and then he talks about those who, uh, you know, have sort of have a, the thorny ground and the, the, the weeds just choke it out and... My wife and I, are, we're building a house in Saudi right now and uh, some acreage, and uh, it needs bush hogged. There, I wouldn't even attempt to plant grass in our yard. It needs clearing, and it needs bush hogged, and uh, the, the weeds would just choke out everything. In fact, people keep asking, when are the blackberries due? Because I have thorns just in my entire, you know, about nine acres of thorns where blackberries are growing. And they say, are the blackberries in yet? And so we understand that type of soil. But he also talks about soil that is rocky. Uh, we, when we sold the house we lived in in Hickson last year, getting ready to, to build our house, it was in the Big Ridge area. And that is rocky soil. I tried for about five years to do something to that yard, and the best I got was uh, I dug a small section out, and that was about it. It just, it was dirt and rock. That's what it was. Nothing would grow there. So we understand that. And he explains that type of soil, Jesus does and says in verse 21 of that kind of soil, he has no root in himself. He only endures for a little while. Because when tribulation and persecution come, because of the world, that would be the explanation for that persecution and tribulation, immediately he stumbles. He does not endure. And what we start seeing in the way that Jesus presents these different types of soil is we start seeing characteristics of what make good soil. If something's going to be good soil, it's got to have the ability to retain that word and not let someone snatch it away from it. If something's going to be good soil, it has to have the the, the field cleared, so to speak. There can't be thorns. It can't be crowded out by other things. And there's also a quality we learn about good soil. It has to have a quality that we call patience or long-suffering. Because without it, Nothing grows. And so it's an exciting topic that we've been given tonight, long-suffering. And I even appreciate the sermon title because it's our outline for tonight. It is difficult to grow. It's, it's very difficult to, to produce that quality, but we're very glad when it's there. It, it, it's always pleasant when it's actually 
come to fruition. So we're going to take it in, in those two veins tonight. Let's just take it from that approach, taking the topic that's been assigned, that, that sometimes long-suffering is painful to grow, and yet at the same time it's always pleasant to harvest. So let's deal with the first of those. And in Galatians chapter 5, we have our list, do we not? The list that we're working through in this summer series, this list that we call the fruit of the Spirit, and it's basically singular fruit. We just have the different and varied parts of this fruit. And beginning in verse 22, here are the, the, the components of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. If your Bible says patience, some translations have that. That's our study tonight. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control against such there is no long. And I think we're finding probably as we go through the study of the, the fruit of the Spirit that they're all interconnected. You can't touch on one without touching on them all. So let's talk about, first of all, how that long-suffering is sometimes painful to grow. So let's start with the word itself. If you have this word in your Bible, long-suffering, you, you really do in English translations, if you've got that term and not the word patience there, some do have patience, if you've got long-suffering in your Bible, and I've got it in mind, we have two words that make up that one word, long and suffering. And that's because in the original language we have a compound word, two words that make up this word that's translated long-suffering. And they, they, they come from a word, number one, that means large or big. Now, the word here is macro. That's the word that's used as, a, as sort of the prefix to this. And, and we even understand that. Sometimes we get into big debates about evolution and we'll say, well, we believe in microevolution. We do not believe in macroevolution. And what we mean is we believe in maybe small changes within kinds, but we do not believe in big changes like the theory of evolution says of one change or one kind to another kind. We do not believe in large change evolution. And so we say there, there can be change, but not the kind of change being purported. Well, we understand the difference between big and small. And here's something huge. It's large. This is macro. And the other word means heat. Large heat. Or the way the Greeks would have it, anger. And when both of those words are combined, it comes into a definition that means something like this. Slow in coming to anger. The, the ability perhaps of someone to hold in check his wrath or his rage. So we're talking about self-restraint. And we can maybe see jumping forward in the fruit of the Spirit how it may be directly connected to self-control because that's part of the definition of long-suffering or patience. It means the idea of being patient in tough times, uh, exercising some form of self-restraint, some withholding of self that would otherwise act in not in a good sense in bad times. And so that alone tells us why it's painful to grow. There's some implications from that, and hopefully we can explore it and maybe touch on some things that we, we struggle with a little bit. Why is it so painful to grow? Well, in the definition itself, it's the idea of bearing up under bad circumstances, some sort of a stressful situation, some sort of a, a stressor is there, and we have to act a certain way toward that situation. Now, here's what it tells us. It tells us, based on the meaning of the word, that we're going to go through tough times, some sort of a stressful situation, and if we're honest, we don't always handle stressful situations well. We just don't. I mean, sometimes we're better than others, but, but, but based on cultural conditioning, we've been sort of culturally conditioned to not handle situations very well. And that's implied within the word that, that there is a handling of the situation different than what the world or culture may tell us to act. 
And now we're being called to act a certain way that's different than what we're being taught to act by the world because we do not often handle stressful situations well. For example, have you ever known someone in a, in a work environment, in a professional setting, where an employee did something and it may have been an honest mistake? And the employer gives that employee without any notice at all, without any sort of restraint, a chewing out like you've never heard before. That happens. And what that's an exhibition of is a lack of patience. There's no long-suffering to that situation. There's no stepping back, assessing what's being taken or what's taking place. There's no assessing of the situation. It's just immediately jumping in and acting, reacting to the situation without any kind of thought. And, and that's the kind of situation that we often find ourselves in or where we just have to really tell somebody off without knowing the context of what's been said or... When you start dealing with marital situations and you've got two people, a man and a woman, and they're involved in a marriage and all of a sudden there's some sort of a stress and maybe incidentally someone in that marriage relationship, the husband or the wife says something and the other reacts to that and all of a sudden sparks fly and there's something happening or the same with rebellious children. And, you know, we, we're in a situation now where we have uh, two young girls who are experiencing um, terrible twos, tantrum threes, 16 and 21 and whatever age they're going through right now. And it's not always easy to take a step back and temper your response to a situation when you want to just do something. And it's that's not the definition of long-suffering. But we often don't react well in those situations, sometimes in financial crisis. People add pain to their misery by doing something that they should not have done if they'd just taken a step back. And what that means is that we often do not react well in stressful situations. Self-restraint is really hard. It's hard to put a, put a cap on our emotions and keep our tongue in check, but that's all involved in the issue of long-suffering, of, of taking a step back and being patient toward the situation. It's a struggle, and that's because, again, we've been culturally conditioned to have a short fuse. That's the way we react. But it's not our struggle alone because even the disciples struggled with that. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Here's a great example, Luke chapter 9. Gospel of Luke chapter 9. And amazingly, if I said disciples, we may be thinking, ah, we've got an example from Peter, right? It's not Peter. This time it happens to be John. If anything, it's proof all of them struggled with it. Luke chapter 9. It's a long chapter. We're going to drop down late in the chapter. We're going to start in verse 49. Verse 49, John answered, this would be the apostle John. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now that phrase in your name means by your authority. That's a key to the solution of this situation. We saw someone casting out demons in your name by your authority. And we, John said, we forbade him because he does not follow with us, in other words, he's not part of this band of disciples. And let's notice the reaction of Jesus. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is for us. Now, now John himself admitted what this man was doing, that he was actually literally casting out demons and doing so by the authority of Jesus Christ, but he was not counted among the twelve disciples that were following after Jesus personally. And John said, man, when we saw him, we jumped right in and we told him to get out of here because he was not part of the twelve. And Jesus said, did you not think about it, John? You admitted that he was doing it by my authority and you cast him away when he was actually doing my work. 
Sometimes we talk about impetuous Peter, but they all struggled with it because it's the common lot of humanity based on our cultural conditioning that we just sometimes don't handle situations well. It makes long-suffering a really difficult part of the fruit of the Spirit to produce. Now we're not done. Verse 51, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And in verse 52, he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans to prepare for him. And isn't it interesting that Jesus sends these often impatient, the non-long-suffering disciples in to make preparations which would necessarily teach them patience. But watch what happens, verse 53. But they did not receive him because his face was set for a journey to Jerusalem. In other words, the Samaritans rejected offering aid to Jesus. And when the disciples, verse 54, heard it, James and John, when they saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Do you want us to do something that would bring the wrath of God upon these people? And Jesus says in verse 55, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You don't understand my mission if that's what you're calling for God to do. What it proves is that the struggle to produce the part of the fruit of the Spirit that we call long-suffering or patience, it's not just our struggle singularly. Everybody struggles with it. Even the disciples of the Lord struggled with it. And it's so difficult to produce that when our culture tells us to be something other than what the Lord requires us to be. Now, here's the other part of that. The, the flip side of that is that it's... Maybe that's fed by the fact that we live in a very selfish culture. Very selfish culture. And it's hard not to become selfish when that's what we're taught to be in our culture. It's all about me. That's what our culture is about. It's, we've bought into the idea that we are sovereign. That we are the masters of our universe. That's what we've bought into. And maybe not necessarily everybody in this room. I mean, if you're talking to Christians and we're conversing with each other, hopefully we're, we're of a mindset that we understand that God is in control. But largely in this world, there's the mindset that each individual is in control of his own universe. And there's certainly a huge difference between free will and sovereignty. And the truth is that while we certainly have the ability to choose, we have free will, we're able to make our decisions with regard to the love of God, whether to accept it or reject it, you and I are not in control of the universe. God is. And that's a hard thing to wrap our mind around that in every situation in life that while we have a choice regarding that circumstance, the person who's ultimately in control of that circumstance is the God of heaven. Let's turn our Bibles, if we're in Luke, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. There's a parable that Jesus gives about a, about a rich man who's unhappy with his his barns, and he's going to pull them down and build greater. And when we read that, and sometimes our focus is his lack of attention on God. And it's true. He doesn't mention God at all, and God calls him on the carpet because of that. But if we're careful, if we read carefully, there's a little bit of that impatience on the part of this man. Let's read it, verse 15. Jesus says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So he speaks a parable to them and says, The ground of a certain rich man yields plentifully or yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater, and there will I store 
all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods, laid it for many years, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself. It's not rich toward God. And there's this implication within the urgency of his statement that this is something that he expected to happen like that. And that's the culture that we live in. How can we sometimes not think that way when everything we do feeds the convenience of me, me, me? If you want a cup of coffee at your house, uh, a lot of folks just push a button on a Keurig machine and you've got coffee in 30 seconds. Can't wait for a percolated coffee or a brewed coffee. You just don't want to do that. Or we go through a drive through somewhere and we get a coffee because we want coffee, we want it now. And if we want a, we want a meal, largely people don't cook a whole lot anymore, we microwave it because we want our meal now. And if we sit in traffic and we're at a, a red light for more than two seconds, we start getting antsy in the seat of our car because we want the light to be green now. And that's the culture that we live in. Uh, it's, now there are really terrible drivers out there. And, uh, you know, I, I have no road rage, I admit. And my wife says that I have road rage. I have no road rage. I just don't like uh, drivers who won't put their foot on the pedal and go. You know, we all struggle with impatience, right? We just, we struggle with that because our culture feeds that mentality. It's fed by our culture. And so it's hard not to advocate for that when we're so influenced by that. You know, it's, it's as if sometimes we pray to God, Lord, we need patience and I want it right now. That's what we do. That's why long-suffering is so difficult to produce. Because of selfishness and because of our tendency to react poorly in situations. And learning long-suffering is contrary to everything we're taught by culture regarding selfishness and regarding the way we react to things. So let's turn our attention now to the positive side. So, so why is it so pleasant to harvest? If we actually do it, if we produce this level of long-suffering, the, the, the bearing up under trials and these stressful situations in life, why is it so pleasant to produce? Why is it so pleasant to, to harvest? Well, here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, when we learn patience, we learn to trust God. And that may be the most important thing to come out of patience. In Isaiah chapter 30, if we turn our Bible to Isaiah chapter 30, there's a great statement about midway through that chapter. Isaiah chapter 30, about patience and what the Lord perceives in people when they produce that level of long-suffering or patience. In verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 30, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord will wait that He may be gracious to you, and therefore he will have uh, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you for the Lord is a God of justice blessed are those who wait for him now the implication of that passage is that God is pleased with people that wait on him to provide See, when we're long-suffering, when any stressful situation occurs and we take a step back and say, I'm not going to react to this situation in the way that I normally would react. I'm going, to, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to let the Lord do something. It's teaching us to depend upon Him for provisions. I mean, let's think about, um, think about Jesus. He is the single greatest thing that has ever happened in human history. And yet, how long did God wait to put Him into the world? From Adam to Moses, about 2,000 years. From Moses to Jesus, about 2,000 years. Almost 4,000 years. 
of preparation to bring the Christ into the world. And even then, he was in no hurry to make it happen because the Lord came in through conception. Obviously, he was miraculously conceived of the Holy Spirit, but there was a, you know, he was in the, the womb for the right amount of time, and then there was the delivery of the, the baby, and, and then he, he was a young child, a, a baby, an infant, and then he grew, and then he was a child, and it was not some, you know, 30 or some odd years later that he comes on the scene of history. All of that is proving that God works in his own time, in his own way, but whenever he produces whatever he wants to give us, it's perfect. Because God in the fullness of times brought forth His Son made of a woman born under the law. And what it tells us is that God always provides for us what is perfect. We just have to be patient enough, long-suffering enough to wait for the Lord. And when we are, we learn to trust God and appreciate His provisions. Number two, producing patience or long-suffering makes us like God. Meaning that that's one of the pleasant Products that come out of the production of this part of the fruit of the Spirit. We, we become more like God in doing it. We learn His nature better than we learned it before. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Numbers. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. Now, we don't stop reading too early because there's a companion verse that goes to this that shows us there is a limit on how long-suffering and how patient we are towards certain situations, just like God is. It's not a... It's not his overlooking of wrongdoing. It's, it's being patient with people, long-suffering with people and their faults. But not completely. In verse 18, he says this, The Lord is long-suffering. Now, that tells us that if we produce long-suffering, if we're, we're, we're producing this part of the fruit of the Spirit, it makes us like God to do that. We're learning Him in a way that we've never learned before if we start doing these things. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and the fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And so as Moses is writing this and talking about the Lord's long-suffering, he says God is long-suffering. He's willing to be patient with people. In fact, we could probably go to the companion passage in the New Testament where it speaks of God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but He wants all to come to repentance, what may help explain why there's... Why he's waiting and with the delay, whatever timeline he's on, but he's certainly long-suffering toward people, but he does not clear the guilty. So he's certainly not approving of wrong behavior, but he's willing to give people the chance to correct it. He's long-suffering with people. There was a um, there was a man walking in, in Walmart, and he had his he had his small child, his, his son, in the buggy at Walmart, and uh, it was just one of those days if you're a parent you know what those days are like when your kids there's you cannot appease them there's nothing you can do they need a nap or whatever and they just scream in the most uh, awkward places and so he pushes him into walmart and the child starts screaming immediately as they go he can't even hear the greeter when he goes in the door at walmart the guy's trying to say hope hope you have a great day and the kid's just screaming and he's i'm so sorry and so he starts pushing his son down the aisles and is the child just screaming at the top of his lungs and throwing a fit and screaming in the cart. And a lady was, was also shopping in, in Walmart, and she happened to pass him as he first came in, and he, he had his head down in his buggy. He said, um, it's, it's okay, Teddy. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You'll be all right. And she noticed him. She kept going through different parts of the store, and she was in cosmetics, and the kid was still screaming. And 
She noticed the same thing. He would keep saying the same thing. It's, it's going to be okay, Teddy. It's going to be okay. She thought, well, what a patient father that is. And um, same thing, made it over the toys. And she finally worked around. This has been 30, 40 minutes in the store, and the kid's been screaming the whole time. And she finally mustered the courage to go up to him, and she said, Sir, I, I just want to tell you, I, I really appreciate your, your patience with little Teddy there, calming him down. She, he said, Ma'am, I'm Teddy. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be patient in situations that are really stressful. But learning patience makes us more like God. Learning that helps us to understand what God puts up with us. And if we've ever put up with a really stressful situation, then maybe, just maybe, we can put ourselves in the shoes of God. Not that we would ever exalt ourselves on the plane of God, but to think that my transgressions, He's long-suffering with them. He doesn't excuse them. He doesn't make, you know, doesn't clear the guilty, but... But He is willing to be patient with me. And that kind of patience is what He calls us to produce as well. And knowing that we're like God in so doing is certainly pleasing to us as well. And finally, it helps us to see the best in every single situation. There's a statement in Hebrews chapter 13. Let's turn our Bibles there. Hebrews chapter 13. That's a different kind of stress than maybe a like a persecution or something along those lines. But... Hebrews chapter 13 talks about um, like a period of want when necessities of life are being met, but maybe we don't have other luxuries or life, and it's learning contentment in spite of what the world may tell us. And he says in verse 5, let your conduct, let your, let your lifestyle, let it be without com- uh, covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now what that tells us is that as we look at every situation in life, the principle here is that with God's help, with God on our side, we can see the best in every single situation. What that tells us is no matter what the stressful situation is, no matter what persecution, no matter what trial it is, I can always look at that situation, take a step back, be patient, and know that the best results are going to come, that something grand is going to come out of that situation, whether it's the refinement of my character or God's going to relieve the situation in whatever way He knows best and in whatever way He does that, He's going to do that for us. It's always going to be the best outcome in every single situation. And so it changes our attitude toward everything in life. Uh, in a mall that may have uh, more than one story, you always have, like in you know, at Hamilton Place, you have stores like Belk and others. They have the escalators. They still have the escalators. And there was a boy standing at the end of an escalator, and he was all by himself just standing at the end of an escalator. And a lady came up to him, one of the sales ladies. She says, son, are you lost? He said, no, ma'am, I'm waiting for my gum to come back to me. You know, what he thought was, I've lost my gum, but it's going to come back. I'm waiting for the best situation to come. Well, that's sort of the way we look at life. It, it may be a terrible situation. There may be, a lo- there may be something that's, that's happened that's just terrible. And yet at the same time, I know that the return of that is going to be grand because if I'll just wait on God, it's going to be perfect. I want to end with this. Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. You know, sometimes we sing a song, and the song is about patience. It's about long-suffering. Maybe that's not how we often read it, but that's what it's about. It's based on the words of this passage. Verse 31, last verse of Isaiah chapter 40. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, They shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There, there's another passage in Psalm 103, really about the first five verses. And when he gets down to verse 5, he mentions the same things about the young eagles being renewed. It's the same language, but it's a particular language the Bible uses to... Well, certainly we, we can identify with the soaring of the eagle and the grandeur of that flight, but... Maybe there's something else that's involved in that word picture that we've, that we've not considered. Eagles go through a period in their life that's known as molting. They go through a molting process. And at some point in an eagle's life, especially as they start to age, a couple of things start happening to them. They start building up calcium deposits on their beaks and on their talons. So it makes their talons dull. They're just basically unusable. And their beaks are unusable as well. They have no ability to tear into flesh, and they're not going to be able to, to feed themselves like that. Feathers start coming loose. They start coming out. And so with the ability of the, 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 the feathers gone, it's sort of the, the silent flight that they may have had is sort of gone. And so now as they, they swoop down on prey, they, they make a whistling sound when they do that. And so the, the entire livelihood of the, of the eagle is in jeopardy. When an eagle goes through that, that stage, that period, they fly down into the rocks and they find a hiding place. If they're patient, here's what happens. If those eagles wait it out, if they don't, they're vulnerable. They're usually dead. Some prey will get them and they're, just, they're gone. Some animal will take them. But if they'll hide in the crevice of the rock, they will literally break their beaks off. They will scratch their talons on the rocks until those calcium deposits are gone. And they'll pluck their feathers out. And in that period of patience, while they're waiting, while they're enduring up under that trial, the feathers start to regrow. The beak comes back as sharp as it ever was. And the talons are sharp again. And when they're ready, they fly off. Another bird of prey again. I can't help but think maybe that's some of the language that the Lord is using in Isaiah 40 where He talks about just be patient. It's, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to let me handle the situation. What He's telling us is it's okay to be afflicted. It's okay to endure those periods where we go through the valley of the shadow of death because I've got your back. I'm going to handle the situation. I've got it. And if you're going to be a child of mine, if you're going to produce fruit that comes from the, the Spirit of God as He teaches you to do in His Word, then part of that means letting me handle the situation. Depend on me and I will take care of you. That's what it's all about. Now, what He doesn't want us to do is wait when it comes to our submission to Him. He wants us to obey the gospel. In fact, we've got passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where we learn that today is the day of salvation. And while he may have been talking about the, the Christian era there, when he's saying now that we live in the age of Christianity, salvation is here, redemption is here under Jesus Christ. It certainly can't overlook the principle that we often sing in song, today is the day of salvation, tomorrow may be too late, in the sense of that's one area where we do not want to delay. We don't want to put off the obedience to the gospel. So tonight, if we would obey the gospel... Well, that invitation is open to us. Let's do that right now. If we'll hear it, let that word cultivate faith in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and we'd be willing to repent of sins and confess His name before men and then be baptized in water so that sins can be washed away by the blood of Jesus. He'll raise us in newness of life and we'll be Christians. We'll be walking in light from that moment. And if we'll keep on walking in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ His Son will keep cleansing us from our sins. And if we do sin, then we can ask God... Our Father in heaven, 1 John 1 and verse 9, for forgiveness, and He'll forgive us because He's faithful and just to do that. 
But as a child of God, as a people who produce the fruit of the Spirit, we have to learn that long-suffering is a quality of God that we're supposed to emulate. And the more we do it, the more like God will become and the more dependent upon God will become. And the more expectation, the, the better outlook we'll have on life as a result of that. So long-suffering. Does that characterize us or are we hot-blooded and short-tempered? Or do we need to change that? That might be an attitude thing that we need to take before the throne of God between us and Him. Or if it's something public tonight, then we can ask the prayers of the church and we can take care of that. But that's certainly hard, isn't it? Of all the fruit of the Spirit, it may be, it may be the most difficult because it's hard to let go and say, I'm not in charge, I'm not sovereign, God is in charge, I have a decision to make, but He's the one that controls the situation. It's difficult to do. But it's what He requires us to do. Let's think about it, please, as we stand, as we encourage.